one of our longtime supporters posed a question about demonic activity on our forums. He suggested that biblical counselors and Christians generally do not devote adequate time and concern to demonic activity. His concerns are valid, and our supporters, if you want to read this thread on our website, I would encourage you to do that. If you are a financial partner, meaning you're underwriting our ministry, we do have a private thread just for our supporters. It is one way that we can honor them. We can give them a private space where they can come to our ministry and ask questions, whatever they may be. And so this supporter, he has been supporting us for a long while. He posed this question, and so what we did is we interacted with him on the private forum. And again, there is a lot of information there that you could click onto, and you can read that, again, if you are a supporter of our ministry. But what I decided to do is I wanted to do or devote an entire episode to this question because it is important. And the implication of his suggestion is we do not devote enough time to demonic activity. And so I want to do just that. And so this is episode uh, episode 406. The title of it is, Should Christians Place an Emphasis on Demonic Activity? Hello, everyone. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for the Life Over Coffee podcast. If you want to read a bulleted list of my talking points for this episode, please go to our website and look for episode 406 under the Life Over Coffee episode podcast. You will get a bulleted list of what I'm going to share with you, my talking points. There are also several links here that I would encourage you to uh, click on so that you can read the article content that I have written about spiritual warfare. I have written a lot on taking thoughts captive, spiritual warfare, walking in the spirit, because this is an important subject. But I want to add this podcast to those stable of resources, and you can find a lot of those at episode 406. You'll find this podcast that I'm developing right now. You'll find the video that I am developing right now as well, in addition to a lot of other information. And if you do, if you happen to be one of our supporters then I want you to click on the link and go out to our private forum so that you can read this interaction between our supporter and me and and another uh, team member. If you're not a supporter of our ministry, I do have to ask, why not? I mean, I don't want to guilt trip you here. I know that some people can't support uh, due to financial hardships, and they're already supporting under other wonderful ministries, including especially their local churches. And so I really appreciate that. But if you are able to underwrite our ministry in any way financially, if you could do that, uh, that would be fantastic because we do give our resources away. You're either watching this video or listening to this podcast, and it doesn't cost you one cent. You can do that freely, but that is because of the generosity of the people that believe in what we are doing, and they want to help us. And so if you're able to do that, no guilt trip at all. 
If you can't do it, you can't do it. And actually, one of the ways that you can support us, if you can't support financially, one is pray for our ministry, and then number two, share our resources, and then number three, write a review about our ministry anywhere that you can. And so if you're listening to this podcast, go on the platform where you're listening to the podcast write a nice review, give us a five-star rating, and that will help us to reach more people organically. So you can pray, you can share, you can write a review. Some of you can actually support, and we do need your financial support. There are 10 of us that operate this ministry. We're all VAs, meaning we are virtual assistants, meaning that we operate out of our homes. We don't have any brick and mortar whatsoever, and we do that so that we can keep cost at a minimal. We are a minimalistic ministry, and to think that we reach the world globally, we're taking the practical message of Christ to people everywhere, and there are hundreds of thousands of people who benefit from this ministry, but we cannot do it without your financial support. And so my friend here who happens to live in Texas, I know who he is, he wrote this question, and we want to honor him. And so we've had this uh, dialogue on our private supporting forum with him. Again, you can read that if you are a financial partner. And then, of course, I want to spend a little extra time devoting uh, to Uh, doing this podcast here because, again, the subject is just that important. And so if you go to the show notes for 406, be sure to click on uh, these articles here. I have, it looks like six of them. I have six articles, plus we have some others that are embedded throughout the bulleted list. Uh, One of those is tips on how to fight in the spirit world. Probably the most popular Uh, resource on our entire website is how to take every thought captive. There's a handful of articles that people just use over and over again. And one of those is how to take every thought captive. That is essential reading for every Christian because that is 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses uh, 3, 4, 5, and 6 where Paul says that we have divine weaponry. Some people, uh, we all live in the flesh, but some people choose to fight according to the flesh. And Paul is telling us that we don't fight according to the flesh, that we have a spiritual warfare that takes down strongholds or thought fortresses that can capture our minds, that can take us into captivity. And so this article on how to take every thought captive is essential to go along with this podcast that I'm developing now. And then there are four other articles as well, as well as the video that I am developing along with this podcast. Now, I also have some other links on reference material. Some of this material I have read, some of it was uh, uh, suggested to me, and so I've linked it here. One of those is titled Spiritual Warfare, A Biblical and Balanced Perspective. I have not read this resource, but uh, it was given to me by someone that I do trust, and so I commend it to you to to read and to hopefully benefit from. And then, of course, many of you have read Screwtape Letters. That's like a 
a traditional Christian read that I think all Christians should read that book by C.S. Lewis, Screwtape Letters. It is an interesting fictional account of demonic activity, but I think there is some insight that can be garnered there. And then also Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology book. I think that would be helpful, and I'm speaking specifically of the chapters that deal with spiritual warfare. Uh, Wayne Grudem is a continuationist. Uh, He would be on the charismatic side of the evangelical movement. But when I say that, I'm not suggesting that he is way out there like Benny Hinn and some of the other nonsensical people uh, that we have, uh, that we're familiar with uh, in the charismatic movement. So I'm not saying that at all. Actually, if you were to draw a a, a line right on the spectrum, right dead center, uh, you would find people like John MacArthur on one side of that line and people like John Piper and Wayne Grudem on the other side of that line. And they have different perspectives on spiritual warfare, cessationism, continuationism. But you can draw a circle around the whole lot and put them within our camp, even though they different different even though they have differences doctrinally on some subjects. But Wayne Grudem uh, is a trusted resource, again, like with everything. You're not going to be beholden to all that anybody uh, suggests or put forward, including me. And I trust that you, I absolutely trust that you do not believe everything that I'm telling you, that you vet me, and it's okay to disagree. I respect people. I have more respect for people who humbly and civilly disagree with me than those that may be rubber stamping me. And so disagreement is fine. We have to disagree, and that should not be a problem. But Wayne Grudem's systematic textbook, it's actually a good systematic treatment. Uh, one of the reasons for that is because it's written in common to humanity kind of language, meaning that we can easily understand it without compromising the integrity of God's Word. There are many systematic texts books that uh, the footnotes in the books are actually longer than the content devoted on each page because they're just that technical and they're very difficult or challenging to read. Now, I'm not suggesting that we overlook those treatments as far as a systematic text is concerned, but Wayne Grudem's is popular, one, because it's easier to read than the more technical uh, systematic theology textbooks, but I do commend his treatment on spiritual warfare, demonic activity. Activity. And then I also have a book here called Power Encounters by David Pallison. I have read that book, and David Pallison would be my historical hero. Uh, as far as I am concerned, he was the number one biblical counseling thinker. He is at the top uh, of my list of, as far as an original thinker. One of the problems in the biblical counseling movement and Christendom in general is that we don't have a lot of original thinkers. There's such a redundancy when you go to biblical counseling conferences, which I don't attend. I hardly ever attend one because they're just redundant. It's just a regurgitation of the same old stuff. If you go to one or two of them, they are helpful, but after a while, it's just the same old, same old, because we just don't have a lot of original thinkers in biblical counseling, but also in Christendom. But anything that you can find by David Pallison, I think it would be nourishment and enrichment for your soul. And 
one of his books is Power Encounters. All right, so let me get into a few thoughts here in episode 406, Should Christians Place an Emphasis on Demonic Activity? I want to make these thoughts here I have aren't in any particular order, so hopefully it's not too scattered and you'll be able to connect all the dots as I move through this. First of all, I would want to make a distinction between Satan and God and Satan and demons. Sometimes our language can be really sloppy and we can take cliches that have been normalized in our culture like the devil made me do it. And that, that, that cliche actually becomes the normal way of thinking and it filters down into our belief system. And that's just not true. The devil hasn't made you do anything. You have not had any encounter with Satan himself. Satan is not God's equal. Satan is not omni present. When you see the activity of Satan in God's word, well, it's very obvious what he's doing, and what he's doing is something that is more of an anomaly than what we experience when we are encountering demonic influences. For example, in Genesis 3, 6, and 7, we see Satan showing up, and that is the fall of humanity. Well, that is something that Satan would show up for. We also see Satan showing up in Job chapter 1. Of course, uh, again, Satan is not God's equal. He's not co-equal with God, and so he can only operate with God's permission, meaning that he too is submitted to God. He is not equal to God at all, and so we see satanic activity in Job chapter 1. And then in Matthew, we see uh, the devil tempting uh, Christ. And so in these events, and then we see Satan in Revelation as well, But in these events, these are unique historical events where Satan is showing up. And because he is not omnipresent, he's not showing up at our house. We are not that important. And so we want to be very clear and we want to be precise without being the word police. But Satan is not harassing us. He shows up in these anomalies, in these unique historical events for purposes uh, that are orchestrated by God's design and permission, but these are huge historical events, not for us little people. Now, that doesn't negate the fact that there is demonic activity. And I do think that if if God were to peel back the spiritual world where we could look into it, uh, we, we would just be overwhelmed at what we see. And so there is a difference between Satan and God, and then there's this difference between Satan and demonic activity. And so what I will be talking about in this episode is the influence, the oppression, the possession of of demons, of, of the spiritual world, but not Satan specifically. And then the question is, is asked that... Uh, why don't biblical counselors, or he was asking more, uh, there was an implication that biblical counselors do not place enough emphasis on biblical uh, warfare and demonic activity. And there's a lot to what our uh, supporting member was saying, and so I want to try to tease that out. First of all, I would not claim
class biblical counselors as one demographic as though that they are all the same because that is that's just not true there are gradations of biblical counselors just like there are gradations of every other discipline where it's a whether it's a baseball player or a doctor and so there are going to be levels of competency and so when you say that biblical counselors or it appears that biblical counselors do not give adequate time to understanding the spiritual world, demonic activity, the interplay of demonic activity and the psyche and the soul. That is a comprehensive statement, and I, I would not make this statement that way because it's just not true. Technically speaking, biblical counselors have a sufficiency of Scripture worldview, and so because they have a sufficiency of Scripture worldview, that means that they do spend adequate time talking about satanic or demonic activity. However, when you begin to stratify biblical counselors and recognize that there are different levels of competency all the way from highly skilled formalized biblical counselors who have a plenary sufficiency of scripture worldview all the way down the list to incompetent biblical counselors yeah you're going to find differences all up and down that stratification but in the most technical sense if a biblical counselor is competent in their skill set then they will devote appropriate and adequate time to demonic activity. And so we can't encase every biblical counselor and then make a, a suggestion or even an accusation that they don't do fair treatment to demonic activity because that is quite unfair. Now, to be honest with you, I don't have a lot of confidence in biblical counselors. I don't know, I don't know any competent biblical counselors uh, in the sense that I have sat in and I have experienced their competency. I know people who blog about biblical counseling. I know people who do podcasts about biblical counseling. I know professors who teach biblical counseling, but I could not tell you that they are competent in doing biblical counseling. I mean, there are great preachers who are orators, and that's what we mean by great. There are great orators who can exegete God's Word, but uh, as we tend to find out with some of them years later or maybe after they died, uh, that they were perverts, that they were sexual predators, they had different predations, and, and so they're not competent in their gift as far as a scripture biblical perspective is concerned, but uh, they had skill, they had natural gifting. But in the biblical counseling movement, we have so diluted what competency is, I can understand why a person would encase everybody within the same grouping, because we have created a word called certification that has become synonymous with qualification, and it's just not true. The biblical counseling movement does a poor job in distinguishing good counselors from bad counselors, and I have a lot of reasons for that. I won't get into that, but to answer the question to say, do biblical counselors devote enough time to it, adequate time to it, the answer is yes, if that person is a high-end, formalized biblical counselor who has been sufficiently trained, meaning he He's not certified. 
He just doesn't have certification. He may not have certification at all, but he has academic training, and then he has experiential knowledge that has been vetted over a period of many, many years. I did not become comfortable in biblical counseling until about the five to seven year mark, and I was counseling virtually every single day of my life for day on end, week in, week out, year after year after year. I was certified as a biblical counselor. I had two undergraduate degrees in Christian education and and, uh, theology. I had a master's in biblical counseling, became a fellow with ACBC. But with all of that, it was also in addition to the training of multiple years of doing biblical counseling. Now, that is what I call competent biblical counselor who not just has the academy, been to university and received the education that is required to be competent, but also has the time in grade. And if we're talking about that kind of person, there is a high probability that they spend enough time adequately uh, teasing out this idea of demonic activity. However, according to the implication, I probably agree with you, most biblical counselors do not do that because all they have is a certification, which is a a short period of training that doesn't even touch the hem of the garment of what needs to what they need to have in order to be competent plus they don't have the time uh, in grade and so my answer to the biblical counseling dilemma is that there are counselor gradations and that is really important now also i want to talk about demonic conditions Uh, When it comes to thinking about demonic activity, there are also gradations there as well. Demons cannot possess believers. It just can't happen, though there can be a spiritual oppression. There can be spiritual oppression. And so when I talk about demonic conditions, I'm talking about gradations. And so one, uh, Satan cannot uh, demonic uh, demonic beings cannot possess a believer. And then number two, there is more noticeable demonic activity in third world countries. And for those of you who have been to third world countries, you'll probably have seen this. And you hear the stories too of people who have gone or people who have spent time on the mission field where they, they spend time with people who, who actually have a gravitational pull. They have an affinity toward demonic activity. This is what they uh, do, and you see that kind of demonic activity uh, more unleashed and, and out front and center in third world countries, and so that's another gradation. And then there is noticeable demonic activity among those who pursue those relationships. I was just talking to a pastor in Springfield, Missouri, two weeks ago who told me about uh, family members. I can't remember which one, but it, it doesn't matter. Uh, that this is what they did. It wasn't just Ouija boards and seances, but these are individuals who really wanted a relationship with the evil, uh, demonic, spiritual world. And so there are people who actually pursue it, and if you pursue it, you can pretty much get what you are looking for because the demonic world is real. And then there is demonic activity among unregenerate people, meaning unregenerate people 
people can be possessed. And so, again, just like thinking through gradations of biblical counselors, some do it well, some do it poorly. There are also gradations of demonic activity. One, Christians cannot be possessed. In third world countries, you will see it more in an objective um, dangerous, uh, stark way. And then you'll also have people who actively pursue uh, satanic and demonic activity. And then you have unregenerate people who can be possessed by demons. And so again, you want to think through these different iterations of what demonic activity can look like uh, with a person. Now, practically speaking, I want to I want to address just a couple of things. Well, several. I have a list here. I would appeal to anyone that that you don't create any kind of hobby horses. And, and I got the feeling from this supporter that this was becoming, if it hadn't already become a hobby horse, because he had an experience with demonic oppression at some point in his past. And according to the forum string, he's still working through it. Now, I see that a lot with people. For example, someone would come into biblical counseling. They want to be a biblical counselor because they have gone through an horrific situation. And like, say, divorce, for example, I see that a lot. And because they have gone through a divorce, that becomes their niche. That becomes the thing that they focus on. And what can happen is that you really don't have a plenary and an equalized view of what's going on in a counseling session because you have one thing. It's your hobby horse. It's your thing because that is your experience. And we want to be careful about mapping our experience over the very thing that we're trying or the person that we're trying to help. I realize that we do have presuppositional filters, but we want to make sure that our presuppositional lens is a sufficiency of scripture worldview, not one particular issue. It's one of the reasons that I don't recommend that people use PDIs or personal data inventory, pre-take, uh, intake counseling forms, because it can set the stage of, of what you want to do in the counseling session before you ever meet the person that, that you're counseling. I think that's unwise and unhelpful, and I see that with counselors who haven't matured in their competency, assuming that they ever will, that they use these intake forms as crutches rather than stepping into a counseling session pneumatically. And that is my third point, that we want to be pneumatic. Being pneumatic means that we are walking in the spirit, and it's kind of ironic here that we're talking about the spiritual world, and so rather than using a PDI to give me my marching orders, I actually want to tap into the Spirit of God, and I want Him to illuminate my mind as we deal with these issues of spiritual warfare. And then one of the things, if you have a sufficiency of Scripture worldview, not only will be you be looking for a demonic oppression or a demonic possession, but you'll also be looking for the confluence of medication. We live in a highly medicated culture, meaning that virtually everybody's on medication. When you go to the doctor and they ask, are you on any medication? And you say, no, you are the outlier. You are the anomaly because the overwhelming majority of the people in the world are on medication. Not only are they on one medication, but they are on multiple medication because once you go down the medication road, you start having side effects and you take medication for the side effects of the medication that you originally took 
antidote for the disorder or the problem that the psychologist and the psychiatrist gave you. But there are a lot of people who are highly medicated, and you have to recognize that, and you want to try to discern, is the medication doing the talking here or not? I was talking to someone just a couple of days ago. I can't remember at this point because it is so, I I talk to people so often, uh, but they were walking down Oh, oh, uh, it was my doctor. As a matter of fact, it was my medical doctor. I was doing my six-month checkup, and he told me, uh, by the way, this podcast is going to go longer than 30 minutes. I I realize now as I'm looking at the time, but I I don't want to blow through this because, again, it's really just uh, that important that uh, we cover this issue, and so I am going to go beyond my normal 30-minute time limit. But I was talking to my medical doctor, and he was in San Francisco. He's a San Francisco Giants fan, and I asked him, when you go to these games, is it safe as you go from the hotel to the ballpark? And for the most part, he says it is because of the touristy section of of San Francisco. I would argue that point, but nevertheless, I didn't, and I listened to him. But he was telling me that as he was going to a ball game uh, in a year or so ago, that a lady was walking near him, and it was obviously that she was hallucinating and that uh, she was not in her right mind, and within five feet of her, she just threw up right there in front of him, and it was a grotesque sight. It was also alarming, too. Could this lady be uh, possessed by some demonic spirit? Yes, that is very possible. Uh, and it's also very possible that she was on medication. Uh, now, when I say medication, it could be legal medication that a psychiatrist prescribed, or it could be illegal medication. But my point here is that when you are meeting with someone, and I have met with people, I met with a gentleman one time who was diagnosed as as bipolar, and he told me that he was a fourth part of the Trinity. Now, I know that he was highly medicated, but it is also possible, I don't think he's a Christian then or now, uh, he's in prison right now from what I understand, but it is highly possible that he was possessed by some demonic spirit as I was meeting with him. I do not know. I, I, I really do not know. That is not a question that I can actually uh, answer be, because uh Well, it's very subjective, and so it's hard to tell. But if you have a sufficiency of Scripture worldview, then what you're going to do is come at the situation in a comprehensive way, and you're not going to be dismissing things willy-nilly, but you're also not going to just be... uh, labeling everything as a a demon, that there's a demon behind every bush. And so there is a balance here, but you do have to factor in that there is a confluence of medication. And again, a, a competent biblical counselor will know this. And so he or she will be uh, interacting with the Spirit of God praying for spiritual discernment, trying to understand what they are seeing with this individual. They don't go in with a preset uh, data points because they have read an intake form. They don't have a hobby horse, uh, but they're open to all the possibilities that the Scripture presents to us, and one can be a confluence of medicine, medication. Two can be demon possession or demon oppression, but they are being pneumatic. 
And then you also want to consider life-dominating sins. That is a huge issue with everybody. I have an entire webinar, one-hour webinar, that I would love for you to watch called Human Motivation and Shaping Influences, something like that. But it's a one-hour visual video presentation on shaping influences, the things that shape us into the people that we are. The number one shaping influence that we have is an Adamic shaping influence. We are born in Adam, meaning that we are broken through and through. The biblical language is totally depraved. Well, that is an influence on us. That That is a shaping influence that guides us in, down a broken and dark path. And then layered on top of those uh, that Adamic influence are such things as in utero, as we were carried in our mother's womb. There is also our DNA. There's uh, cognitive and IQ uh, capacities that we have. There are familial, um, family of origin influences. Uh, there's horrific father experiences. There's excellent father experiences. There are peer influences. There are academic influences. There's also the influence of the decisions that we make, like the lady in San Francisco. One of her shaping influences had something to do with the decisions that she made doing drugs legally or illegally, uh, alcohol intoxication, uh, hallucinating, uh, not being regenerated, being possessed by the devil. And so you want to possess by demonic forces. And so you want to be open to all of those things. But one of those has to be life dominating sin patterns. And so you want to look into that and see how this person is specifically wired. And then you also want to address their thought life, their personality and their thought life, the entangled mind, uh, the soul noise that they have. You have some people who are overly introspective, where they get lost in their heads. Their processors run all the time. And you have other people, their personality is such to where it's like information is water off a duck's back. It doesn't really retain much inside of their minds. They're not complicated souls. But when you're talking to a person, you can talk to some people who are so entangled in their minds and they have such a, a high grade of soul noise that you would want to filter that out. You would want to discern that to see what kind of entanglements they have and this gets into the article that I mentioned earlier about how to take every thought captive. And then you also want to address the zeitgeist. The zeitgeist is the spirit of the age. And this, this ties directly to demonic activity. Zeitgeist, again, means the spirit of the age. And so what is the predominant spirit of our age? Or the spirit of this age? I have lived in the spirit of multiple ages now. I was born in 1959, where I lived in a historically traditional, conservative, even Christian culture in America, and that was the zeitgeist. Now the zeitgeist is is hardcore pagan. It's left progressivism. It's LGBTQ. Uh, it, it is all of these dark forces from the unregenerate world that is now dominating our culture. And so that is the spirit of the age. And so this zeitgeist, even when they use the word zeitgeist, what they're talking about the spirit of the age, the in this case, the demonic activity. 
And one of the ways that that happens, this zeitgeist that has evolved over the past 60 years from the time I was a kid to this day that we're living now, uh, is that satanic influences, demonic influences, they influence unregenerate people, and then unregenerate people influence Christians, for example, uh, many people who run social media, many people who run uh, the Disney Corporation, uh, people who run the university, uh, people who run media, run Hollywood, most of these people are unregenerate, meaning that they are open to demonic activity. That some of some of them will tell you just out and out that I am an atheist, that I reject God. That person is an open candidate to not just oppression from demonic activity, but possession as well. And so if the zeitgeist of the age is primarily controlled by unregenerate people, then the chances of the zeitgeist being manipulated by Satan and the demonic influences is incredibly high, and the chances of us being influenced by these demonic forces is high as well. And so the spirit of the age is a huge thing, and you can go into that, into any slice that you want to. I have spent a lot of time, just this week as a matter of fact, I have I've done three direct messages every Every day, Monday through Friday, I do a direct video message to our supporting community. Again, it's another way that we can honor the folks who financially underwrite our ministry. And I will do a 5 to 15 minute video message Monday through Friday. I do at least five, but rarely will I do five. Uh, usually I'll do seven or eight, sometimes 10 video messages a week because I want to get information out to our supporting community. It is also a training mechanism. We have some people, most people can't do our mastermind program where we train people to do biblical counseling. Most people can't do that. And I understand why, because it's a significant commitment. But we still want to train because we are a training organization. And so one of the ways that I train is I do direct video messages every day. And so it is a a, a, a lesser version of our mastermind program as I train our supporting community in all things biblical counseling and discipleship. And so this week I've done three uh, direct video messages on social media and the dangers of social media because the statistics are in. Uh, the suicide rate, for example, has been skyrocketing since uh, 20. Uh, 2017. Also, there have there there's been a significant uh, spike in the social contagion of rapid onset gender dysphoria. Now, what that means is is dysphoria means dysfunction. Dysphoria means confusion, meaning gender confusion. Rapid onset gender dysphoria means that there is a social contagion. Now, there's a difference between a social contagion and a biological contagion. The pandemic, COVID-19, was a biological contagion, meaning it didn't matter who you were or how old you were, the chances of coming down with COVID were 
pretty high. It is not demographic specifically specific. But when you have a social contagion, it usually targets a specific demographic, meaning that this is not a biological problem. It is a socially activated problem, specifically a problem that is that is created and perpetuated by social media. And because uh, rapid onset gender dysphoria is a social contagion, it is targeting one specific demographic. It used to be up until 2011 that the primary people who felt like they were born in the wrong bodies were men. And so they uh, transitioned to becoming women. But that changed in 2011 when it spiked. And you'll also know that in 2011 is when uh, social media started hitting its stride. Uh, In 2007, Steve Jobs gave us the iPhone. And then in 2008 came Facebook. Facebook dominated. It took over MySpace or it it pushed MySpace out of the marketplace. And then in 2009, they started creating the like and the share button on Twitter and Facebook to where now we can uh, share our content. And then a few years after that, they began to create the or to manipulate the algorithms to where they can send you specific information that you're looking for. And so now they're, they're able to control our minds by giving us material uh, for, let's say, the insecure girl who doesn't feel uh, comfortable in her own body, well, guess what? The algorithms are are ready and set uh, to be able to manipulate her mind to tell her exactly what's wrong with her. And that's why in 2011, there was a spike. The demographic changed. It's no longer men primarily who feel uncomfortable in their body who are becoming uh, girls, but it is girls who are transitioning to men. And there is one specific demographic. There are four areas uh, that that speak to this demographic, that they are girls that are becoming uh, men and pretending to be men, of course. Uh, And then uh, they are uh, female. Uh, they are white. Uh, they're going into uh, high school and they're middle class. And so girl, white girls going into high school, middle class, that is the demographic. That is the social contagion. Now, it has also uh, spiked again from 2018 till now. That is the zeitgeist. That is the spirit of this age. That is demonic activity. And I am only speaking to one aspect of it, which is social media. We also see that in the university as the demonic forces are working together to influence the culture, to flip the culture from a primarily Christian culture, which it used to be, that used to be the zeitgeist, to what we have today. And so you have university, you have the media, uh, you have Uh, media as in Hollywood TV, Netflix, and so forth. And then you have social media, and then you have the entire entertainment industry and the sports complex and on and on. And so when you are helping someone uh, through biblical, uh, through uh, counseling issues, a competent biblical counselor will consider all of these things. And the zeitgeist is one of those things because the zeitgeist, the spirit of this age, 
is sinners, unregenerate people influencing the saints. And so now we are submissive. Now we can be willfully submissive to these influences if we choose, for example, to send our children to universities where they are indoctrination centers, or if we choose to normalize social media by being on it as parents are teaching their children to imbibe on social media because parents can't won't stay off of it because they have submitted their souls to the zeitgeist and they are being influenced by demonic activity. And so when you are working with an individual uh, and they are tied up into some kind of problem, what you want to do is to begin a process of elimination to try to figure out what is going on. And I have just given you a list of a few things to consider. First of all, do not have your hobby horse. Do not have your pet thing uh, that you are looking for because you will find it. And that will be unfortunate because you're not open to all the possibilities of what could be going on in this soul that, that you are trying to help. Number two, be pneumatic. If we're talking about spiritual warfare, then walk in the Spirit and ask the Spirit of God uh, to help you to discern these things. Look for the confluence of medication because more than likely it is going to be there. Also look for life-dominating sins, habituations, motivations, and shaping influences. Discern their personality, what kind of person they are, their thought life, the entangled mind, what strongholds have been erected, what thought arguments have captured them to where they possibly have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Also, with life-dominating sins, think about conscience issues. Do they have a conscience that is biblically informed? Do they have a conscience that is hypersensitive, like in 1 Corinthians 8? Do they have a dull conscience because of the layering of sin? Do they have a hard conscience in 1 Timothy 4.2 because they have just given themselves over to sinful habituations? Consider the zeitgeist of the age as demonic influences are influencing us. Where are they imbibing? What are the tributaries that are feeding their minds? Is it social media? Is it Hollywood? Is it the university? Where is their community? What kind of community? is influencing them, bad companions do corrupt. And so recognize that satanic sinners can influence Christ-like saints. And so you begin to eliminate these things, and as you eliminate them, you have a good chance of dialing in on what the real issue might be with this person. This is episode 406, Should Christians Place an Emphasis on Demonic Activity? I do have several links here of articles that you can read. I have some reference material. I have gone through several things that I trust will be beneficial to you. And then I want to wrap up this podcast by just summarizing a few brief points. One, uh, Satan, demons, and demonic forces are real. There's no question about that. I mean, the Bible is very clear. There is the world. There is the flesh. There is the devil. And maybe it would be a good exercise for you to go through all the references of uh, satanic and demonic activity in the Bible. That would be a good study if you have the time to devote 
uh, to it, uh, it would be well worth your time to uh, do that. So Satan, demons, and demonic forces are real. Number two, discerning their influence is challenging and subjective. And what I mean by subjective is we are not omniscient. We do not know everything, and that's why you can't have a hobby horse. That's why PDIs are dangerous in in my view, because it, it can it can guide us in a way that we're not pneumatically open to how the Spirit of God is leading us. And so it is subjective, meaning that we want to hold our opinions loosely. Yeah, we have to land the plane. I mean, you do have to make a decision about the person that you are helping. But if you go through the process of elimination, as I have been allowed outlining here. If you begin to identify some of the things that I have been identifying and you have this holistic, comprehensive approach to biblical counseling, uh, then you can be a you can eliminate these things, and you can land the plane, and you can get fairly close. Uh, but we want to make sure that we we don't take on the role of the mini Messiah as though we know exactly what's going on. Because the truth is, we cannot know what's going on in the fullest way in which God knows what's going on. Only God is objective. We are subjective. But with that, we don't have to be deflated by it. We don't have to have a fatalistic view or a pessimistic view about the discipleship process. It is just a humility that recognizes that we do not know everything, but it's not just a recognition with humility, but it also gives us the ability to rest, to rest in mystery. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, it talks about the things that have been given to us. I've laid out some of those things in this episode. There are other things that have not been given to us, and for the Christian, we can rest. There is a rest for the people of God, and it transcends uh, all the storms in our lives. And if you're in a situation where you're discipling someone and you just can't quite figure out what is going on, you can rest in the humility of recognizing that you don't know everything. And then what you want to do is you want to embrace your role, which is to water and plant and not give the growth. You're God's water boy. You're God's water girl. Your job is to water, to give that good water of God's Word and let the washing of the water run over their souls as you plant that good Word in their minds. And so we want to rest in the mystery of God. A competent biblical counselor will use God's Word as their guide while trusting in the Spirit of God to engage the person while imploring that person to participate in God's good work in their lives. It is hard to tell what is really going on in an individual's life, but through the process of elimination, one of the things that you do want to look at, that you do want to address, is the person's teachability. Now, if they are not teachable, they are not wanting to hear what you have to say, then you have to address why is that. And there could be multiple reasons for why a person is not changing. In fact, I've written an article, I think it's titled something like Seven Reasons That a Person Does Not Change. The truth is for me, as I do not get hung up on Satan and demons or their influence in an over or an under 
underemphasized way. And that's one of the big ideas that I do want to communicate in this episode. Again, this is episode 406. The title of it is, Should Christians Place an Emphasis on Demonic Activity? We should place an emphasis on it, but we can't overemphasize it or underemphasize it. We want to look at it in a comprehensive and sufficient way. And so what you're really looking for is that all of these things that I've listed, and there's a few others that I haven't listed, but they need to blend into a, a fabric, a sufficiency of Scripture fabric, and you want to address each one of those. You don't want to dismiss any uh, of them. And so I trust that this is helpful, and if you want to engage in dialogue about what I have talked about here, then please jump on our, in fact, get on the link here to our private forum. If you are a supporter of our ministry, we would love to engage with you. We don't want to be just a monologue ministry. We want to be a dialogue ministry as well. And so we want to dialogue with you because this is an important subject. I cannot, I'm not even going to think that I have covered it in a comprehensive way, even though I've gone much longer than I typically do in a normal podcast because I do I did want to hit some of these uh, topics. By the way, if you do not have my book, Change Me, the Ultimate Life Change Handbook, I would encourage you uh, to get this book because this is a book about the change process. A lady wrote me a number of years ago and she said, Rick, uh, if, if you were to uh, give articles to someone to walk them through the transformation process, what articles would you give them? And I thought that was a great uh, suggestion that that supporter uh, uh, posited uh, to me. And so I, I gave the lady, I think it was I think it was 31 articles, actually, or maybe uh, 33, 33 articles, which is what this book is. And so I tagged that, uh, what she asked me to do, and then it was years later, I went through those articles and I wrote them as chapters for a book because I, at that point when she suggested it, I thought, I really want to put that information uh, in a book because it walks through the transformation process. And that is what I have here. Uh, it is a couple hundred uh, pages, 200 and looks like 80 something pages. And at the end of this, at the end of each chapter, there are call to actions at the end of uh, each chapter where there's questions to work through. There's also a lot of graphics because I do a lot of infographics and I've, I put some of them in this book here so that you could visually see uh, the spiritual truths that I'm trying to communicate as Jesus would always go from the physical concrete to the abstract spiritual because he really wanted people to get the points. And so I use uh, visual clues to help connect the dots spiritually because these truths are just that important. And so I would encourage you to go to Amazon, just type in Change Me and my name, Rick Thomas, and you can order this book, Change Me, the Ultimate Life Change Handbook, and they, Amazon will be more than happy to ship that uh, to your door. Episode 406, Should Christians Place an Emphasis on Demonic Activity? Please jump on these show notes. I have a lot of information here. I have a dozen plus articles that you can read. You can access this podcast that I just developed as well as the video. And there are a bunch of other links here that will help you. There's reference material. And if you do have time, I do want you to engage all of this. We produce each one of our resources very carefully and meticulously 
because each resource is like a long-term homework assignment. And so you can take any of our articles or any of our podcast episodes, and you can work through them for like six months, and it will help you to really nail whatever the subject matter is. And so I would encourage you, you could bookmark episode 406 and then just go back to it over and over again. And then if you are a supporting member of our ministry that you're financially underwriting what we are doing here, then I would encourage you to click on this link so that you can dialogue with us so that we can have an ongoing conversation because I really want you to nail this down. Now, if you are interested in our mastermind program, this is what we do. I mean, we, I, and our team, we train people in the skill of biblical counseling or discipleship. It it is our ministry. We do not do counseling any longer. When I started the ministry in 2008, I was a a full-on counseling ministry, and that's what I did. But as things evolved, we made our plans. God ordered our steps in another kind of way. And so things evolved to where people were asking for training, and that seemed more important to me. And so we changed with it. We wanted to go where God was going and working where he was working, and Training people became the obvious choice for this ministry, and so we do not do counseling any longer, but we do, we offer training, and we do it in multiple ways. One is we got this huge sanctification center that's shoved up in cyberspace. This is our big box store. Again, we don't have brick and mortar But we have this, our cyber center, and you can go in our big box store and there are sanctification resources from floor to the ceiling, lining the shelves. And it's virtually everything that you would want, all things progressive sanctification. And it's buffet style, again, underwritten uh, underwritten uh, by those who support our ministry. And so that is the most obvious and the easiest way to receive training from us. Another way that you can receive training as a supporting member, you can write in questions like what our supporter did here, and we will take our time to answer those questions. And then sometimes we will turn them into podcasts. In this case, it's a one hour long uh, podcast on demonic oppression and influence. Then we have our uh, direct video messages that I put out Monday through Friday, that is an excellent way to receive uh, training from us. And those direct video messages go to our supporters as well. They are on the private side of our website, and our supporters can access them. And I have hundreds of them uh, now. I've been doing them for over a year And so there are just tons of videos out there that can only be accessed on the direct message forum link for our supporting community. And then we have our mastermind program. That is the one that's most involved, most detailed. And if you want hands-on supervision in real time, right now there are four of us that do the training in our mastermind program. The three graduates of our program, or the three other supervisors in addition to me, they are graduates of our program. And so they have gone through the very thing that they are equipping you in. I do the primary supervision. They work in the, excuse me, they work in the academy 
as they do the supervision of the university aspect of what we do. And then I do the practical stuff out on the forums and working with them uniquely and individually. And so if you want that kind of hands-on oversight through a super well-supervised program that covers these five topics, we address character in this order, character, capacity, competence, courage, and compassion. Those are the five pillars that we try to assess with the individuals that come into our mastermind program. Every person that comes out, comes out at a different spot. It's like a hundred people walking into the woods and they all come out at a different place. We do not have a cookie cutter program where everybody gets certified, where it sounds like one size fits all. We try to distinguish the unique capacities of the individual, of the student that's going through the program and then train them up according to their capacities, whatever it is is. And so we address character, their unique capacity, fill up their capacity with competence, and then courage and compassion are two essentials if you want to do discipleship well. And so if you're interested in our training, I would encourage you uh, to jump on our informational link and that you can learn about the program. And then if you have questions about it, then please jump on our interactive forums and you can ask uh, follow-up questions if you wish. Uh, But the information that we put out there is quite thorough and it will probably answer every question that you have. And so whichever way that you dip into our ministry, please take advantage of these resources and please share them uh, with uh, with your friends and let them know. Also ask your pastor if he would be willing to have me to come and speak to uh, his church or a counseling ministry to speak or equip your uh, training organization, your biblical counselors. I would love to do that. If you have an, a, another way that we can serve you, please write in. Go to support at rickthomas.net. Send us an email and let us know how we can serve you in the most effective way. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.